0: imagine a scenario where you're in the mood for a true crime podcast. You take out your headphones and press play on the first recommendation. You're excited to delve into an eerie and chilling case. Is someone missing? Is there a conspiracy about to be uncovered? As you listen to the beginning, you're met with a startling surprise. The podcast sucks. And now imagine that you're listening to a different podcast, one that exceeds your expectations. The storytelling is well done. The details are thoroughly researched. The music is chilling and unsettling. And then there's the best part. You get to listen to my deep and creepy voice. When you listen to Still Unsolved, you get to join us as we bring the true crime genre back to its roots. Every week, we highlight different cases of missing persons Wanted felons, unsolved murders, and the truly bizarre occurrences of life. Subscribe to Still Unsolved, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts, and join us. With your help, some of these cases may no longer be an unsolved mystery.
1: You're listening to True Crime Feed. Welcome to True Crime Feed. I'm your host, Angela Ferrari, reviewing the best true crime podcasts from the past decade with a teensy bit of humor, plus my top three true crime picks of the week. Today on The Docket, we have a very special episode. For those of you who don't know this about me already, I'm the black sheep in my family and that I detest football. That's right, I said it. I could give two deflated balls about the Patriots. And I know that's a sacrilegious thing to say here in New England, but that's my truth. And yet, even though I despise this pigskin pastime, I still don't want to miss out on any themed parties and fun finger foods. And I especially get FOMO around the Super Bowl. You know, despite the dumb game, I do love me a halftime show, a parody commercial, and a Krabby snack. And I also love all things true crime. So I'm going to embrace this dumb American holiday and do it my way. Bringing you scandalous podcasts covering football offenses committed off the gridiron. And if you want to take your listening experience to the next level, go to the truecrimefeed.com and sign up for my newsletter where I curate visual aids to accompany this Super Bowl special, including links to the pods we're going to discuss here today. What I love about these podcasts is they go so much deeper than the sensational headlines, and we're going to start with the show Badlands and host Jake Brennan's telling of the Michael Vick case. Badlands is a true crime podcast that explores the real-life stories of the famous at their most infamous. It's a scripted show based on true crime events. They cover topics like how did Marilyn Monroe really die? What caused Heath Ledger to end up on the bad side of revenge-seeking paparazzi? As well as how did Winona Ryder help solve a kidnapping case in her adoptive hometown. Juicy gems like that. Their Michael Vick episode was a standout for me. I only knew the bare minimum, just the headlines connecting Michael Vick to a dog fighting ring. That's all I wanted to know at the time. I remember when Vic made headlines for getting arrested at the airport when he tried to board a plane with weed on him, hiding it in a water bottle, also against the rules for carry-on. His destination was Atlanta, where he lived at the time and would presumably have weed back at his house. As dumb as those moves are, though, I still think the TSA rules are way dumber. <clears throat> Security theater. Security theater. So in the back of my mind, I was like, ah, maybe he's being targeted and this whole thing was overblown. It wasn't until 2022 when I tuned into this episode of Badlands and finally decided to look head on at the Michael Vick case. And it was so much worse than I originally thought. Here's a description from Badlands. Armed with superstardom in a $100 million NFL contract, Michael Vick made it to the hallowed national stage, a place where many of his peers could only dream about. But his increasingly bad decisions led to his self-destruction and one of the most dramatic turnovers of public opinion in NFL history. It took just one search warrant for Michael Vick to go from one of the NFL's most iconic players to its most vilified. And it wasn't just the secrets that police found buried on his 15-acre estate in rural Virginia. Michael Vick's top secret dog operation was as disturbing as any violent, gory, even serial killer crime that I'd ever come across. I'm going to spare you the horrific details. After I heard them, I was seeing red, but I kept listening to the rest of the story. There is nothing in this world that justifies the cruelty of dog fighting. However, I appreciated Badlands giving me the backstory on Michael Vick his history filled with poverty and violence, as well as the history of dogfighting in the South. All of these circumstances that led up to the day Michael Vick's estate was raided in Virginia in 2007. His world was so far away from my own. Again, no excuses were being made for him on Badlands, but shows like this can help you understand behavior behind such horrific actions. It also sparks a deeper conversation about redemption. Michael Vick has since been politically active against animal fighting, even lobbying for new legislation for harsher penalties for participants and spectators. It's really hard to judge if he's truly remorseful or being opportunistic. But since serving 18 months in 2008, the NFL welcomed him back with open arms. He continued to play pro ball from 2009 to 2016. After getting the full story, I still don't know where I land on this one, as far as if or when Michael Vick can ever be absolved for these past crimes. I really appreciated the nuanced coverage on Badlands Season 6, Episode 2, Michael Vick, Shallow Graves, Dogfights, and Self-Destruction. And now, we move on to a story where I know exactly where I stand in my opinion. And that is Brett Favre is a total suckbox. Yeah, in addition to sending unsolicited dick pics to a female broadcaster, Jen Sturger, Brett Favre also played a role in one of the largest public embezzlement cases in the state of Mississippi. He was part of a larger group, one of 38 defendants, who in total stole about $85 million from the Mississippi DHS. Favre personally diverted about $2.5 million from the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families Fund. But don't worry, you guys, he used it for a good cause. Brett Favre planned on constructing a state-of-the-art volleyball court for the University of Southern Mississippi, where his daughter had attended college. He was in the middle of trying to secure a few more million in stolen funding when he finally got caught. He was also paid $1.1 in TAMF funds for speaking engagements. Speeches he never made. Although I'm sure he would have had just such insightful words of wisdom to share. Not. What a DSAC. And though Brett Favre was never criminally charged, civil lawsuits against him are ongoing. You can hear all about Brett Favre's involvement with the state of Mississippi's welfare fund scandal on the stellar comedy podcast, Fraudsters. These guys did a bonus explainer all about it, so check that out if you want to learn more. Moving on to the standout series from the Boston Globe's Bob Hola from the Spotlight team titled Gladiator, Aaron Hernandez, and Football, Inc. This is one of my all-time favorite long-form sports and crime series. It's a top-tier listen, equal parts tragic and fascinating. Here's a rundown from Gladiator. Football star Aaron Hernandez went from the bright lights of the Super Bowl to a convicted murderer in a few years. The Boston Globe spotlight team, best known for its investigation of the sexual abuse scandal inside the Catholic Church, takes a hard look at the crisis facing football through the lens of Aaron Hernandez's life and terrible crimes. Did a brain badly damaged by football contribute to Hernandez's violent behavior? Did he keep secrets about his sexuality that collided with a hyper-masculine football culture? Did elite coaches and teams look the other way as Hernandez was spiraling out of control? Spotlight uncovers new documents, audio, and interviews to go deep into the story of what happened to Aaron Hernandez and what it means for those of us who cheer on a violent game. This series is a prime example of why I have such a hard time with American football. You can make arguments that other sports are just as dangerous. Professional cycling, for example, I think may top the list for overall injuries. But the way hard-hitting contact is encouraged and built into the sport of football resulting in over 300,000 concussions a year and over 47,000 brain injuries a year. And according to U.S. News & World Report, researchers at the Boston University CTE Center recently announced that they have now diagnosed chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, in the brains of 345 of 376 of NFL players studied. That's nearly 92%. CTE is the neurodegenerative disease associated with violence, depression, and dementia-like symptoms. It sounds like a curse you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. And yet, as a culture, we glorify a sport that breeds it. Aaron Hernandez was diagnosed with CTE posthumously after he had experienced all the telltale signs up until the end of his life. Ugh, when I come across cases like this, especially a story like Aaron's where there are all these pivotal moments where he could have been saved from his fate, I find myself doing this fantasy thought exercise. It's kind of sick, actually. I like to imagine the person's story with a happy ending. So with Aaron Hernandez, I picture him quitting football in high school and following his true passion, which was cheerleading, getting to be himself without the shackles of cultural machismo, and instead thrives at cheer camp, bonding with others who really get him. Then he makes it all the way to the championships at Daytona, and yes, maybe his squad did come in second place to the East Compton Clovers, but the real victory comes from doing what you love with true friends by your side. Yes, I know, I'm a total cheeseball. And also after watching the Netflix docuseries Cheer, I now realize how dangerous and problematic the sport of cheerleading can be as well. Just so many confusing feelings all around. But I am solid in my admiration of this phenomenal long-form series from Spotlight called Gladiator. Next, a show that's definitely not as highbrow, but still a thoroughly entertaining mix of sports and crime, comes the podcast Crime and Sports. I recommend this one if you are dating someone who's into sports ball and you want to listen to your crime stories. And so you're trying to find something you can both agree on for a road trip or bedtime listening. This show is perfect for that. Hosts James Peter Gallo and Jimmy Weissman did a savage takedown of former NFL safety Darren Sharper, a.k.a. the Bill Cosby of the Super Bowl. Unlike Badlands' nuanced coverage of Michael Vick, this episode from Crime and Sports is just straight-up revenge reporting. These guys left zero room for redemption. Darren Sharper was convicted of being a serial rapist, At least 14 women have come forward so far. His M.O. was to lure women back to his hotel room or apartment, drug them, sexually assault them, and or pass them around to his friends. Yeah, dude, he was an absolute monster, and there's nothing in his backstory to explain his descent into evil. He came from a good home, loving family. He excelled in school, both in academics and athletics. It's shocking that this is where he ends up. If you want to straight rage for a couple of hours, I thoroughly appreciated the treatment of Darren Sharper on crime and sports. And what's any Super Bowl special without a halftime show? And I've got you covered there, too, with a recommendation for Even the Rich and their three-part series titled Janet vs. the Halftime Show. Trust me, you need this in your life. This redemption is way past due. But finally, 20 years later, justice for Janet Jackson. For those of you youths out there who don't remember, let me paint a picture. The year was 2004. And it was the New England Patriots versus the Carolina Panthers. The Pats won. Tom Brady was on his way to solidifying his goat man status or whatever. I don't know. I don't care. What was important about the Super Bowl is that Janet Jackson was the headliner. She stepped in to replace U2 because they had a scheduling conflict. I guess Bono was still out there trying to find what he was looking for. Don't try to make sense of it, you know? The man moves in mysterious ways, okay? Whatever. The point is, Miss Jackson, if you nasty, was headlining, and she started off the performance with All For You. (laughs) It was good. Not great. The sound kind of sucked. Not her fault. Her outfit was still on point. Her dance moves were sick. Hair flipping, popping and locking in four-inch stilettos. I mean, it's Miss Jackson! Then P. Diddy came out and mumbled his way through Bad Boys for Life. That was fine. What you, what you then Kid Rock came out and did Ba with a Bah. So that happened. Yeah. Okay, okay. And then Janet's back, pulling out her Rhythm Nation moves. Oh my God, you guys, so good. Junior Angela wanted to be part of the Rhythm Nation so bad. I practice in my room all the time, ready for enrollment. But unfortunately, I never got the call. Instead, your boy Justin Timberlake got the invite. All right. So he hopped on stage with Janet and performed Rock Your Body. Hey, girl. He stalks her across the grandstand and then finishes his performance by grabbing her bustier and ripping off part of her costume. Exposing her breast that was still covered by a sparkly nipple pasty. Timberlake was the one who ripped it on stage. And yet, Janet solely took all of the heat for this, quote, wardrobe malfunction. Not Justin Timberlake. The guy who didn't bother to shave his weird neck beard that day and took the stage in baggy khaki pants and was the actual person who tore away Janet's clothing exposing her nipple. He gets off jock-free broadcasters and the rest of the media served janet's head on a platter i mean the whole thing really did look like a premeditated stunt although both janet and justin denied it i'm definitely on team janet but i was also like yo are you just wearing sparkly silver pasties on the reg Anyway, you can see, I have a lot of thoughts on this incident, so I was thrilled that hosts Alicia Skidmore-Williams and Brooke Sifferin were willing to tackle this hot-button issue. They get into all the awful blowback against Janet and her eventual exoneration with their three-part retrospective on Even the Rich, Janet vs. the Halftime Show. Next, we got to tackle the most infamous true crime meets American football case of all time, O.J. Simpson. But this time, a replay from an entirely new angle with Kim Goldman's podcast, Confronting O.J. This came out a few years back when tons of other O.J. Simpson related projects were airing. There was that incredible five-part mini-docu-series from ESPN titled O.J. Made in America. There was also that less incredible but still totally binge-worthy American crime story The People vs. O.J. Simpson, the scripted series brought to us by Ryan Murphy, starring Sarah Paulson as the iconic Marsha Cross. And in my opinion, Cuba Gooding Jr. was completely miscast. That role would have been so much juicier with someone playing against type like a Terry Cruz or even more unexpected, a Tyler Perry for the role of OJ. But uh, there I go again, getting needlessly distracted by yet another Ryan Murphy show. No, what I actually want to talk about is the show that should have gotten way more spotlight had it not been in the shadows of these other behemoth OJ projects. Confronting OJ from Kim Goldman was exceptional, a story we had heard so much about from a completely different perspective in an entirely innovative format. Here's the show's rundown. 25 years after the crimes that ignited the, quote, trial of the century, Kim Goldman, sister of murder victim Ron Goldman, is digging deep into the vicious crime that changed her life and many others forever. Thrust into the public eye at the age of 22, Kim was devastated when O.J. Simpson was found not guilty of the murders of his ex-wife, Nicole, and her brother, Ron. There has been much debate and confusion about what really happened the night of those brutal murders, and for the first time, Kim gets answers to questions that have been haunting her since the trial. She sits down with prosecutors, investigators, and witnesses who never got to speak, and jurors who voted not guilty. In this 10-part series, Kim takes you on a journey as she reclaims and reflects on the part of her life that was changed permanently. This is Ronald Goldman's story and so much more. The man was usually referred to by the media as friend of Nicole Brown Simpson. In all of the exhaustive coverage, we rarely got more info about Ron. Until now. Kim tells Ron's story and she tells it beautifully. As tough as parts of this series are, there is so much warmth and even moments of joy in the show, and that all comes from Kim. She's simply wonderful, and bonus, a great voice for radio. There are so many reasons to listen to this show, but especially if you're dealing with grief. And now that we've had some breathing room from all this rehashing of OJ Simpson, it's the perfect time to tune in to Confronting OJ with Kim Goldman. And finally, one last recommendation to finish out our True Crime Feetball special. A podcast episode that made me rethink and actually start to admire the sport of American football. At least the history of it, anyway. And I'm also counting it as true crime because it took place at the Carlisle Indian School. Founded in 1879 in Pennsylvania, the school's motto was, Kill the Indian, Save the Man. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't get more criminal than that. Despite this horrific setting, we get an extraordinary story of Triumph on the Gridiron presented by the podcast Radiolab. Here's the rundown. At the end of the 19th century, football is a nascent and nasty sport played by the sons of the most powerful men in the country who are literally knocking themselves out to win these gladiatorial battles. But then the Carlisle Indian School formed to assimilate the children and grandchildren of the Native American men who fought in the final Plains Wars. The kids at Carlisle took the field to face off against the new world that was destroying theirs. And along the way, they changed the fundamentals of football forever. Ugh, the story is amazing. I love it so much. And bonus, I found that I could bond over this story with friends and family who are obsessed with football. The few parts of the sport that I like, the big, beautiful arc throws of the ball across the field, the ballet-like choreo, the high kicks over the goalpost. These innovations all came from the indigenous students at the Carlisle Indian School, pushing the boundaries of the sport making it more creative and dynamic, taking up the entire space of the field rather than fighting in the trenches for a few feet of ground. I think it's time we look to the past at how these kids change the game and continue to innovate for the future of the sport. Find ways to play American football that result in far less head injuries, the long-term brain conditions that go hand-in-hand with violent crime. Rewrite these stories of football players to have happy endings so we may continue this great American tradition celebrating with face painting, tailgate parties, and Krabby snacks. Ah, you guys, we found a weird way to kinda commemorate this football holiday. Tell me what you thought of these case recommendations slash shows and what other lesser-known crime and football stories did I miss. I know there's a lot of them out there. You can email me directly at Angela at the truecrimefeed.com or join the True Crime Feed Facebook discussion group. Keep an open mind and be kind to fellow True Crime Feed friends. Even if they love football, all sports fans and Janet Jackson stands are welcome. Stay tuned till after the break to hear my top three podcast power ranking of the week. (sighs) Hey, you. I'm so glad we found each other and get to share our special love for true crime podcasts. I don't ever want you to miss out on a wild story. That would be a crime in itself. So be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast app and share your favorite episode with a friend so the next time you see each other, you can splurge about your latest true crime obsession. Thanks for spreading the word. And now back to the show. And we're back. Before we start the ranking, a quick update. Yes, I am still listening to that other football story called The Raven about former NFL star Ray Lewis's connection to a double murder in Atlanta. It's still really good, but we just have so many other amazing shows out there right now. I don't even have a miss this week. Instead, I have a top four. So without further ado, it's game time. Here are the four shows currently trending that I think are worth a listen. I present to you this week's podcast power ranking. Four, three, two, one. At the number four spot, we have Undercover, The Spy Cops. Here's a rundown from the show page. Police officer Mark Kennedy, a.k.a. Mark Stone, is unmasked by the friends and lovers he was sent to spy on. Andy Whitaker investigates how he and other, quote, spy cops operated. Officer Mark Stone infiltrated a group of climate activists in Nottingham in 2023, leaving many unanswered questions. All right, this show is super juicy. You get insight into an extreme climate activist group, plus insight into shady undercover operations. Dude, I really, I can't believe how far some of these guys go. This story is bonkers. Really salacious stuff, especially coming from the BBC. So check out Undercover the Spy Cops. At the number three spot, we have Cover Up Body Brokers. Here's a synopsis from the show page. For eight years, Megan Hess ran Sunset Mesa Funeral Home in the small town of Montrose, Colorado. She promised clients discounts on normally expensive cremations, a seeming kindness in a town where many are poor. But in the back of the funeral home, Megan's elderly mother, Shirley, was actually dismembering the dead. And then Megan was selling the body parts, heads, torsos, legs, to companies that claim to do medical research. Yeah, the FBI raids the Sunset Mesa funeral home, you guys. I don't want to spoil anything else. I'll just say that, yeah, it sounds like Megan is the brains behind this whole thing. But yo, I would not want to be alone in a room with Shirley. She might be one of the scariest grannies on the planet. It continues to go down on the demented cover-up body brokers. At the number two spot, we have Varmentown. Here's a synopsis from the show page. Two years ago, Kyle McLaughlin, the star of Twin Peaks, calls investigative journalist Joshua Davis with a strange story. Kyle had heard a rumor that Pablo Escobar did a deal in the early 1980s with a remote coastal southern town of 300 people. In exchange for vast wealth and limitless cocaine, Escobar would be allowed to land planes and ships in the area. Over the last 24 months, Josh and Kyle investigated the rumor, journeying into Varmintown to knock on doors and find out what really happens when a fire hose of money and cocaine is turned on in a small, tight-knit community. All right, this show was genetically engineered in a lab for my enjoyment. Nostalgia, pop culture meets more Pablo Escobar folklore, plus Kyle McLaughlin, His voice translates so well to podcast storytelling. I'm obsessed. It's just this delightfully weird adventure. I know you're going to love it too when you tune in to Varmintown. And at the number one spot, we once again have... Dr. Death, Bad Magic. Here's a reminder from the show page. When a charismatic young doctor announces revolutionary treatments for cancer and HIV, patients from around the world turn to him for their last chance. As medical experts praise Sir Hakam Ruku's genius, the company he co-founded rockets in value to over half a billion dollars. But when a team of researchers makes a startling discovery, they begin to suspect the brilliant doctor is hiding a secret. From Wondery, the new season of Dr. Death, Bad Magic is a story of miraculous cures, magic, and murder. Okay, okay, I know the name of this season is, quote, Bad Magic, but I'm still shocked at how much magic there really is in this story. And I can't quite figure out, is this guy a true believer in harnessing magical powers to cure people? Or is this just all part of his act? I can't wait to see where this all goes, but I'm already calling it. This is my favorite Doctor Death season to date. All of the talking heads are super good. Laura Beale is always good. But with this story, she's cast a spell on me. Dare I say, this season is just simply magical. So don't miss Dr. Death Bad Magic. Find out next week if Dr. Death will continue to reign in the number one spot as the series continues or if a new show will cut in and take its place. And let me know what shows are trending in your top four. I'll meet you back here next week to dust off another superb true crime show from the archive for your next feeding fix. That's all for today's true crime feed. Don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I post links to my top three, sometimes four, favorite shows of the week, and bring you fabulous visual aids for every episode. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the conversation. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and tell your fellow partners in crime to tune in to True Crime Feed. It really is a huge help to grow the audience. It means the world. So thank you so much for writing along and allowing me to be your audio accomplice. Join me next week for another feeding.